Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. We at Habs Unfiltered have formed partnerships with some wonderful groups that have provided us with free goods. We want to let you, our friends, join in and enjoy these products and save. No Name Hockey will provide you 10% off if you use the promo code HABS10 at nonamehockey.co. SeatGiant.com will provide you 35% off your purchasing fees if you use the code UNFILTERED20. If you are living in the Maritimes, specifically Nova Scotia, please go ahead and pay a visit to Boxing Rock Brewery. There's several locations throughout the province, Shelburne, Nova Scotia, and now one on Almond Street in Halifax. Pop in, say hi, tell them the boys at Habs Unfiltered sent you, and you will be surprised by what kind of discounts they will provide. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 269. I'm your host, Blaine Padme, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Good day. Uh, we have a special guest on our episode today, um, Sebastian High, OHL scout for Dauber, uh, Dauber Prospects and host of Puck and Roll podcast. Welcome to the show, Sebastian. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I'm very much looking forward to this show. Oh, no, we're, we're really excited to have you here. And for our listeners, as we begin, uh, I just want to make it clear that the Internet's going to be a little choppy. Uh, Sebastian is in the uh, the Austrian Alps and... <laughs> The internet's not that reliable up there. No, it's it's meant for like internet detoxing to come here. So trying to do a video call is uh, not the greatest idea, but here we are. Yeah. That's, that's what we do. Bad ideas. <laughs> it's great. It's just great. Ad- adapt and overcome. The Navy motto, adapt and overcome. I thought the Navy <laughs> model was have another beer that's when you adapt and overcome oh okay all right (laughs) silly me (laughs) so uh sebastian we brought you on because you made a couple of really really interesting posts 
about uh, a couple of the newcomers to the Canadians. And uh, as a uh, as a Habs fan, uh, you were able to kind of fit it into what the team has. So why don't we just dive right in and we'll start with your thread on Kirby Doc. Yeah, sounds great. Like, um, basically, I, I just wanted to watch games of Doc on my own time when the Habs acquired him because I watched him play with Chicago, but I was never really focusing on him. And because like with Dauber Prospects, I have access to Instat, which is this incredible uh, service, if you're not aware, that um, allows you to watch a player's game where it edits all of their shifts of one game together into one video file so that you don't have to watch a three-hour game to scout one player. And it also just makes the entire process way easier. So I just downloaded two of Doc's games and started watching and then started picking up on some aspects of his game that I found very interesting. And I just started um, taking clips for, clips of it because I was like, I could make an interesting Twitter thread about this, kind of thinking nonchalantly that it could be fun. And uh, it kind of just like um, like snowballed from there. And it ended up being this like massive post um, with like I think it's like I think it's like twenty something tweets in, in the and uh, got a decent amount of attention. So yeah, it was, it was yes, it fun. did. Yeah, and, and it, it was very very well done. And before we get into that though, what was your reaction to the trade itself, uh, trading away Alex Romanov for that pick to get Kirby Doc? Okay, so my initial reaction uh, was trading Romanov at this moment is a very astute move for Kent Hughes. Um, I think Romanov is a very, very fun player to watch. Uh, I also think that uh, his value will never be higher than it was in this offseason. Uh, he hasn't signed his, his next contract just yet. Uh, he finished the season playing first pairing minutes. And I think that his, his hockey IQ limits him to a hard-hitting second-pairing role, which in my mind is not nearly as valuable as a 13th overall selection. And um, if I'd been the GM, I would have just kept the 13th overall pick and selected Frank Nazar because he was my second-ranked player in the entire draft, and I would have loved that. But uh, when they flipped it, my initial reaction was, oh my God, they're getting Shane right at four because they were announcing this trade right before Seattle was Mm -hmm. gonna pick. And I was like, they're getting Slavkovsky and right. This is incredible. And then it was like Chicago. And I was like, seventh overall isn't bad either. And then it was Kirby Doc. And I just found that very interesting because um, if this had been done under Mark Bergervin, I would have been very skeptical. However, with the Habs' new investment into player development and player development staff, I'm very excited by this uh, to see people like Adam Nicholas and Marie-Philippe Poulain be able to work with Doc uh, and obviously St. Louis as well. Um, that's a very interesting concept to me. So my initial reaction was a very positive one. Um, I was slightly disappointed that it wasn't that we didn't acquire Shane Wright <laughs> because that had been my hope uh, when they were announcing the trades. But um, no, it, it was a good reaction because uh, I mean, he's a very recent third overall pick. I was very aware of his playmaking ability and his mobility, which I think is a very fun combination. Uh, and his skating is also quite different to that of someone like Gisberi Kakinyemi, 
who was constantly losing his balance and it was really affecting his game uh, and still is to this day. Uh, whereas I already knew at that point that that was not going to be an issue with Doc. So I, I was excited when they made the trade. I think the, you- the fact that the Canadians are using analytics as well kind of made me a little bit less skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, he, he's a really fun player and I, I didn't quite realize how fun uh, he could be before I dove into his game. But yeah, I, I, I like this trade, especially because the Habs have next Suzuki and he doesn't have the same pressure that he had in Chicago where he was always meant to be the next Jonathan Taze, uh, whereas he, he, he doesn't have that defensive ability and he doesn't need to in Montreal because we have Nick Suzuki, who, who is that highly defensively capable centerman who's going to have the toughest matchups every night and Kirby Doc can just develop calmly in the background to that and I think that will benefit him a ton. Do you think uh, the reason one of the reasons they pick right is because they knew they were going after uh, Kirby Doc because it's been well reported that they've been talking to Chicago for a couple of weeks now about uh, about a trade. I, th- I think it may have influenced them. I think it's more of a thing of you trade for Doc if you choose, if you decide that Slavkovsky is your guy, not the other way around, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And were you, okay, so you want it right, but were you that disappointed that it gets Slavkovsky? Like what between Wright and Slavkovsky had you going Wright's way? Okay, so Slavkovsky was my fifth ranked player. However, okay. Uh, the top of the draft um, was just very tight this year, and I, I like, I think I think the best way I've come with um, uh, like phrasing my thought on the pick is that it's by no means a bad pick. I just don't think it was the best pick. I think that Shane Wright is had the best combination of high floor, high ceiling in the entire draft class, and that Montreal could have really used that. However, Yuri Slavkovsky's just raw ability and like his, he is such a powerful player. He's, he's already like throwing like opponents off his back that are grown men. And it's very impressive to see he uses his physicality effectively. It's not just there for show. Uh, he uses it to access the slot. And if you access the slot, you can create dangerous opportunities. Uh, I also think that he's a better playmaker than he is a goal scorer, which is something that really hasn't been talked about very much uh, apart from like in like the high key scouting circles because his Olympic performance of seven goals and zero assists kind of just pinned him as a goal scorer whereas in reality like, like his, his shot's good like I'm not not trying to undersell his goal scoring but it's his one touch playmaking like if he's down low near the net uh, like on a power play playing as a net front guy and then shifting to the side of the net as a one touch playmaker to get the puck to the guy at the bumper uh, he's so effective in that role and he uses his, his physicality to create space to work with. And he's just a very good player in that sense. Um, again, not the guy I would have gone with at one, but uh, still a player that I, I, I am extremely hopeful for uh, with the future. Um, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm also very glad that the Habs fan base has embraced him the way that, that they have, because I had the fear that like he was going to get booed off the stage if they were, if the Habs were going to pick him. And uh, after initial moment of shock, the bell center erupted and was excited and welcoming. And uh, that made me very happy as well, because like, I don't think you're going to find a more charismatic kid 
in the world. Like he's just he's hilarious. He's so fun. Uh, and I'm I'm so looking forward to the next like 15, 20 years of interviews with him because he's just he's so much fun to listen to. Now, so his his size was a big uh, a big factor in their selection. I mean, um, Gorton and and Hughes have already mentioned that size is going to be an issue with them. They want skill, but they need some size so they can outmuscle other teams. Now, this is where Kirby Doc I feel is being kind of he's kind of slid under the radar. He's a big kid. He's six four, about two hundred pounds, two ten, um, but he is not a slouch when it comes to skill. No, for sure. And like the biggest criticism with Doc um, is that he doesn't use his physicality very effectively. Um, like it, it, my my thread on Doc, like the main the main point I made in it, apart from painting him as like a highly skilled playmaker, which he is, he he he's a tremendous playmaker. Um, but the main like concern of mine that I pinpointed in his game was he's very upright as a skater. And that has a ripple effect throughout his entire game. His upright stance means that smaller, weaker opponents can lower the center of gravity and just out-leverage him, right? Just using basic physics, getting low. And even if Doc is stronger and bigger, uh, because he's so upright, he has a higher center of gravity. And it, it, he loses that leverage that he should have with his size. And that's something that he really, really needs to work on to be more effective because he has the physicality and he has the also like desire to use it. Like he, he goes for some big hits and he tries to outmuscle, but because he's so upright often, it just doesn't work for him because yeah, like he, he's just, he, he's far, he's far too like, like straight up when, when skating. Uh, but yeah, if, if the Habs can hone like his, his physicality and make him lower center of gravity, which will, is also going to make him a far more effective skater. I think it's going to improve his shot. I think it's going to like, like really have massive effects on his game. And if that happens, then yeah, that, then you're looking at a very big, very skilled centerman that uses his, his physicality. And that's an exciting thing to have, uh, on your second or third line. How do you think uh, Nicholson is going to, or Nicholas is going to help his game when he gets to Montreal or when he starts um, playing with Montreal? Um, Adam Nicholas for me is one of the two or three most important hires the Habs have made since firing Bergevin. So including Gorton, Hughes, uh, St. Louis, I really think that he is that Adam Nicholas is is one of the three most important ones. Uh, Nicholas single handedly, not not single handedly, but he played a massive role uh, in turning the Chicago Steel into an absolute dynamo in the USHL. Um, prior to his arrival, they were an okay USHL team, better than okay. They, they, they were a good team. Uh, as soon as he arrived, uh, you had an influx of talent, guys like Sean Farrell, Bredden Brisson, um, Sam Colangelo. Uh, and, and he just, he used these skilled players and he, he turned them into not just uh, like elite USHL guys, but players that play very projectable NHL games, which says a lot, especially for a guy like Sean Farrell, uh, who's, who's like when he arrived, he was an underskilled play, uh, playmaker 
uh, who had a couple skating deficiencies and had a non-existent shot. Uh, you look at Sean Farrell now, and he's a dynamic skater with an elite playmaking skill set and a ridiculous one-timer. Uh, he's a far more well-rounded player that's not going to get shut down easily, and he attacks the middle. And a lot of that is due to him working with Adam Nicholas for two years in Chicago. Uh, so I, I think that like Nicholas will have already like had multiple meetings with Kirby Doc over Zoom uh, since the trade, and or if not, at the very least, watched his tape and analyzed his game to find what he will what, what he's going to work on because uh everything i've read from nicholas and or, or seen clips of like him in in uh practice it's all it's it's all about like very projectable like elements of offense so attacking the slot is for him an extremely important thing and gaining inside body positioning so the, the exact same things that I was outlining in my Twitter thread, I, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be working on with Doc on top of a ton of things that I haven't even seen yet because I watched two games of his. Uh, but uh, yeah, again, I, I, I did not see everything in this game. But uh, no, I, I, I think that working with Nicholas is going to be huge for Kirby Doc. You know, with, uh, with Nicholas, he, um, he uses skating techniques to apply them to a player's game and how they, how they apply to the game itself uh, with doc. I'm sure he can work on the mechanics to get him a longer stride so he can pick up a little bit more speed, but also lower his base so that he can get that better one timer or uh, exactly. push off a little bit more. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very high on Adam Nicholas as well. He's one of the innovators of uh, a, uh, there's a couple of innovations he had with edge work that he has been teaching for a few years. And I think it's really yeah. going to be seen by the second half of the season with the Canadians. And I mean, Kirby Doc's edge work is already like, like a real strength in this game, right? Like my thread, it really broke down his skating as well. And um, my analysis was really like, there are a couple quirks in it, but because the foundation is already so strong and he's mechanically refined in so many areas with his skating, it's not going to take effects of like proper focus development on uh lowering his base <coughs> and yeah yeah like he, he he's gonna be just fine i'm not worrying about kirby doc at all i i think though doc so he had a um a kind of off year last year he had the wrist injury that kind of i think the wrist injury a is, is a bigger worry yeah yeah uh, do you think he and his face-offs were atrocious? I think it was thirty-eight percent or something. Do you think that's a cause of the wrist injury, or do you think? Uh, it's, I mean, he was only a little above forty percent the, the the year before. Um, so to be like a second-line center, which everyone's kind of projecting him to be, I would assume, um, is that going to be a big factor? Like, is he he's really is he really going to have to work on that, or do you see him moving to doing like what? What do you project him to be? Uh, when he gets to, uh, you know, as he uh, develops with the Canadians. Oh, he, he, he's a centerman. Um, he he played a decent amount of wing with Chicago, uh, not not necessarily playing wing, like wing for the entire game, but just playing a ton of shifts as a winger, like like going up to the first line to play with Taze and then playing right wing. Uh, and he's just far less effective because um, he's at his best when he has space to work with because he's such a great playmaker, playmaker and he sees the ice so well. So when you put him along the boards where you give him, give him a far, far less like space to, to attack and to have like, like 
you, ha you have half the amount of options if you're playing along, along the boards and if you're going up the middle, right? Because you, you right. only play in like in, in two directions, right? Because you're not going to go backwards. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I can't see him working as a winger very effectively. Uh, so if face-offs are necessary for the Habs to trust him in the middle, then yes, it's important. Uh, I personally don't think that face-offs are even really close to the top of the list uh, because in the end, like if, if you win, like like most of the face-offs in the game, in my opinion, don't matter too much. Uh, it's when you like really need a face-off and like the dying moments of a, of a period or dying moments of a game. Like Doc's never going to be the guy that, that you send out there anyways. Um, and he's going to have time to develop in Montreal, right? So just like, like if the Habs just keep like working on the face-offs and if he bumps up to like 45, 46, 47, that's passable. And I think passable face-offs will be fine for Kirby Doc. Uh, if it's at like 33, then yeah, you have an issue. But I, I don't think that should happen. Yeah, because I've, I've seen Doc maybe this year as their third center just until he gets going again you know if, if that makes any sense uh but i oh, see him sure. yeah i mean I, unless they get pierre luc dubois which seems to be inevitable according to everybody uh <laughs> yeah i mean eventually uh, you know, maybe yeah <laughs> yeah i i don't think it'll be for till he's a ufa but anyway um you know i i think it's important and i think my projection for him is start dvorak as your second center and your big face-off guy when you need him have Doc start out on the third line and work his way up pretty much like what Nick Suzuki did uh, when he came in and then just go from there. Like I project to be a second line center in Montreal as long as they don't get Pierre-Luc Dubois. But um, until then, I see him starting out on the third line. That's just, I'm just wondering if, if you see that as well or, uh, you know, or if I'm yeah, just I, I mean, I, I could, I, the thing is with the Habs, especially this season with the amount of wingers that they have that are, around the same like level of, of yeah. players. I don't think you're going to see a huge difference in terms of like lines two and three. I think you're going to have a clear first line and a clear fourth. And then you're going to have the, the Doc and Dvorak lines that like even within games switch between second and third line, right? Where it's, yeah. it's mainly a matchup question than, than like an ice time question, right? So like, like if you put like Kirby Doc with a guy like uh, Jonathan Drouin and... I don't know, uh, Josh Anderson or Brendan Gallagher. Uh, and you have that as like your offensive, like middle six line. And then you have the other line of like Dadanoff, Pitlick and Dvorak or Byron's in there, something of that mix yeah. or, or Anderson or Gallagher, or whoever, right. And have that as like a shutdown line. Um, I, I think that that's like a way that St. Louis would construct his lineup. And then yeah. he'd give the offensive matchups to Doc, uh, also give an increased defensive responsibility to the Suzuki Caulfield line, uh, because this is the time for them to practice defense, right? Like the Habs are not going to be competitive this season. I think they just give them reps in the defensive zone. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, thing is, in the end, if, if you want Caulfield, and Suzuki to end up as your first liners on this team, you can't shelter them forever. Like, look, I, no. I'm not saying every single game go out there and like feed them to the wolves, but uh, like I give them games where they can just flash their offense and and not worry about the defense. Cause again, Dvorak's there for that, yeah. but you have to, you have to give them reps at the same time. And Nick Suzuki's shown how, like, how capable he is. 
as a defensive centerman. And especially if you give them a winger who's who's putting up good defensive metrics. Like I think Brendan Gallagher would be a great fit on that top line uh, if you're giving them more defensive matchups. So um, yeah, I, I'd like to see that at some point this season uh, where it's not every single game doing it, but just feeding them those reps because it's the only way they're going to learn to play with that role. And again, you, you cannot shelter them forever if you're projecting them as your future top line. Well, uh, St. Louis was able to, last season, kind of do that, but with his matchups. So he was able to give them more offensive starts versus defensive oh, sure. starts. And he he was really good at, at working his bench. So I'm, I'm fully expecting that again. But you're right. They have to be able to face against top opposition and show well. And again, you were right. This is the year to do it because nobody's expecting them to finish any higher than 31st. No. I personally and see like, them top 10, bottom 10, not bottom five. Top 10? Well, well, <laughs> not top 10. I meant, I meant bottom 10. Bottom yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah. Top 10 in the draft. Yeah. Top 10 in the draft. Honestly, yeah, top 10 I, I could see... I could see anywhere there in the top 10 of the draft. Like, yeah. cause the thing is there's so, there's so much parody in the NHL, right? Like, like if you look at like the worst team in the league um, versus like the 10th worst team in the league, there isn't usually the biggest gap. Right. Um, I, I think it all depends on Carey price. Uh, if the Habs sell the deadline injuries, right? Like if, if for instance, Arizona loses Jake Chikrin and Clayton Keller in the first month of the season, uh, good luck trying to out tank them, right? Like there, there's so many variables with that, but um, yeah, I, I think, or I think Chicago. the Habs are, or I mean, Chicago just is selling off everything, but like Arizona did the same thing last season and they didn't get the first overall. So like, who knows what was going to happen? Uh, it's yeah, it's always so many wild cards with that, but the Habs are going to get an excellent prospect because the 2023 draft class, there's so much depth of high-end talent, and uh, yeah, the Habs are going to get a very good player next year. Now, with that with that in mind, the Canadians are going to probably be looking at a forward because the defense in next year's draft, in, within the top 10, there's not, I don't think there's any defensemen in there, so they're probably going to pick a forward, and with the forward group they have, it's young, it's talented, uh, it's it's good on the rush, which means they need a blue line that can fit that and it seems that Gorton and Hughes are putting that puck-moving defense together. They're moving from uh, Belchavain's, you know, big, tough 1990s-style defense to the more uh, modern NHL. Now, Matheson is one of those guys that kind of fits that. And you did another thread on him. Could you break down a little bit of what you saw in that? Yeah, for sure. So... Mike Matheson, um, he's he he's going to be an extremely fun player to watch this season. Um, his brand of hockey is almost like a blueprint for like a modern defenseman. Uh, he's extremely aggressive uh, at maintaining offensive zone possession. Like uh, when whenever Pittsburgh turned the puck over in the offensive zone, uh, you, you'd see even like Chris Letang is like backpedaling a little bit to like like defend a potential odd man rush. Not Mike Matheson. Mike Matheson just hounds for the puck and does everything within his means to maintain offensive possession, uh, which backfired sometimes, but most of the time it didn't. And when it didn't, he has the playmaking ability to like 
make dangerous op opportunities out of that. Um, and he's a great skater, uh, super adaptable. Uh, Kirby Doc could learn a lot from his skating. Uh, Matheson really lowers the center of gravity. He's not the biggest or strongest guy, but uh, he's a great puck protector because he lowers that center of gravity. He uses his arm to protect his stick. Um, and because he's so mobile, uh, he uses crossovers really very effectively to build up speed. Uh, and he attacks the middle. Um, he He's super fun. Uh, I, I don't know... I, like, I'm really curious to see what his analytics are like this season. I'm assuming it's going to be a black hole defensively just because, I mean, they looked good last year, but he was on the Penguins and now he's going to be on the Habs and that's going to change the look of things because his defense is passable, uh, but it's not, it's not, it's not why, why the Habs acquired him. Uh, he, he's a puck, he's a puck mover through and through. And I think he's the perfect partner for David Savard. Uh, they will complement each other very, very well. Matheson lacks the physicality and the net clearing ability of David Savard. Uh, he also lacks some of those, uh, like some of his defensive instincts. Uh, but I mean, David Savard is not exactly a puck mover and uh, Matheson is, is the definition of a puck mover. And yeah, like, like the Habs are, are building a modern defensive core and uh, them drafting Lane Hudson, that, that made me so happy because beyond just acquiring a player that I adored, like I, I ranked Lane Hudson 11th overall, uh, which is higher than like anyone else I ever saw rank him uh, because it's, it's objectively insane to rank him that high. Um, but beyond just my happiness of having Lane Hudson as a hab, it's really spoke to the Habs uh, new like viewpoint or like, like ideology in terms of, of hockey and they want skill if that skill is five foot eight and 154 pounds, uh, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's it's really exciting to see this type, type of defensive core now because uh, yeah, I was not the biggest fan of the the whole like Sherratt based defensive core that it was a couple of years ago. Are you telling me that you didn't like the fact that Bergevin got defensemen that were all like Bergevin? And like Luke Richardson, <laughs> like it was, um, yeah, I, I, I remember go back to the deadline of, um, uh, like two, two seasons ago. And, um, for a, a solid, like three minutes, I was convinced that the Habs had went and traded for Eric Goodbranson because I misread Eric Gustafson. And I was like, this fucking team just went out <laughs> and acquired another like bad skating big beast of a defenseman uh, not gonna help this team in any way she reform and then when I saw it was Gustafson I was like I mean he's terribly defensive he's terrible defensively but at least he's fun and um yeah no it's it's it, it was it, the dark ages and I, I feel like we're seeing the light now with uh, a puck moving defensive core now uh, don't get me wrong <clears throat> They they went to a Stanley Cup final with those big beasts. What are you talking about? <laughs> they went they went to the Stanley Cup final with Eric Gustafson, not Eric Gabranson. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, it, the it, sole and... reason I'm, I'm putting it all down to Eric Gustafson. No other reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Ben well, Sherrod I mean, for me. <laughs> that, that is a definitely a, a blue line built for the playoff style of hockey. You know where they just grind you down. But the thing is, they didn't have much of a team to get them into the playoffs. They just snuck in. 
which is kind of exactly. like, you know, that Bergevin, some get you there, some get you through. And if you ever played NHL, not NHL, but ice hockey back in the nineties on Nintendo, you had the choice between a little guy, medium guy, and a big guy. And you had to kind of mix it up if you wanted a good team. And that's, that's kind of what they didn't do under Bergevin. Yeah. No, I think in the end, like you want to mix, right? And just just look at like the the Col- like Colorado Avalanche defensive core that that just dominated its way to the Stanley Cup. Uh, I mean, obviously you have Cam Carr, but if you look beyond that, I mean, Sam Gerrard was injured, but he played a big role in that team beforehand. Um, and then beyond that, like like they went out and got a guy like Josh Manson to, to play that big defenseman role, but someone like like Devin Tays, right? Like he he's not he's not big. Uh, he, he, he was, I mean, he wasn't even an NHL until he was 25 years old. Right. Like, like you can get these value guys, like they got Devin Tate for two second round picks and that was a steal then. And it is an absolute heist now looking back and, um, like Devin Tate is that like puck, like a genuine puck moving defenseman that is elite everywhere. And, uh, yeah, like if, if you can find some of those, those, those gems, uh, and build around them like i i don't believe that that you need to have any first round pick defenseman to build an elite defensive core uh in the draft you always see high-end defensemen come from the later rounds because defensemen take longer to develop not, not as not as long as goalies but uh goalies are like it's, i mean it's playing roulette with them uh when you draft a goalie but uh, with defensemen, you can get them late because they just they take so long to develop, and it also gives the team that's that's developing that that's developing them a ton of like of the control and how the player turns out. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm also a big fan of just of picking forwards high because uh, it's it's a lot more common to find top four defensemen from late rounds and top six forwards from late rounds. And, and that kind of brings yeah. me to the special teams because you you need these puck movers to kind of quarterback a power play, at least one. And I think Matheson yeah. is actually going to fit in well with that. I, I agree. I think like Matheson didn't have a massive power play role in Pittsburgh because Chris Letang exists. Uh, but he is, Matheson's built for a power play because he's an, he's an exceptionally effective puck mover. Like he's not, he's not, he's not Kale McCarr. He's not going to, he's not, he's not going to make the highlight reel in power play every single night, but he just he just moves the puck very very well. Um, his best quality is his scanning. He he always 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 knows where his teammates are, and he has the skating ability to to move up in the offensive zone, create some new passing lanes, and he always knows where he has to then pass. He can make blind passes extremely well, uh, and that layer of perception is very effective in a power play scenario. And he also has a really threatening shot and it makes him that dual threat, which is also important on the power play. So uh, with Madison on a first power play unit, you're not going to see the the whole Petrie stuff that we saw at the beginning of last season, where he was just shooting from like as far back in the offensive zone as he could possibly get every single time, ignoring like the Caulfield one-timer option. I think Matheson's going to really compliment guys like Suzuki and Caulfield on the power play. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in that role. So if you take Petrie and Matheson, which pretty much got traded for each other, let's, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. Do you see advantage Montreal or did they lose? Cause Petrie was a, I, I would say offensively you have a better guy in Matheson, but defensively you had a better guy in Petrie. So where do you see the, where do you see this trade? Like, how do you, is it, is it a win? Is it a loss? Is it a wash? Like, how do you see it? 
I, I feel like both teams are kind of getting what they want in a sense. Um, like Pittsburgh just has this like, like their window is almost closed, but uh, like this season, they, I mean, in the off season, they, they re-signed Malkin and Latang. Like they are going for it. So acquiring a guy that, that's 34, like Jeff Petrie, is, is fine because he's the same age as the rest of the core. Um, so it, it makes sense for them. Um, in terms of just like comparing the two players one-to-one, I think I think a bigger thing than just like who's better offensively and defensively is that uh, Petrie is a lot safer of a player to acquire than uh, Mike Matheson. Uh, Petrie has like what the last like six seven seasons of his play have been borderline elite, except for mm-hmm. last season. Uh, Mike Matheson has had one borderline elite season, and everything else has been subpar. Uh, so it's a risk, right? It's a risk, but in my view, it's a, it's a worthwhile risk because uh, last season was the first year where Matheson had uh, the freedom to uh, play in a fluid offensive system, which he needs. Like he needs the freedom to be aggressive. He needs the, the freedom to carry the puck. He, like if you anchor him on the blue line and, and don't allow him to be creative, uh, you lose all the value in him as a piece. And uh, he was able to do that last season, and he showed just how effective he can be in that role. Uh, however, if for whatever reason that doesn't work out for him in Montreal, with four years left on that deal and then only one outlier good season, that's immediately a negative trade value asset, right? So Montreal's taking on risk with Mike Matheson, but it's calculated, and I think it's a, it's a smart one. Uh, so in the end, I like this trade, especially because the Habs needed to get rid of Petrie. Um, so considering that, like, look, they got a player that in my mind could be a useful, relatively young top four defenseman. I mean, he's 28, like, I mean, he's six years younger than Jeff Petrie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like this for the Habs with this, with the situation. Uh, I also think Pittsburgh did fairly well. Like, like, yeah, you're, you're losing a player that, that played great last season, uh, but he didn't compliment Chris Letang very well on that, on that first pairing because they both played quite similar styles and then you add a right shot defenseman which inherently has a bit more value in the nhl and you're also adding a guy like ryan paling who's a real project but i mean if you see something in paling you may as well go and get him right so i can see it from both sides uh but i think the habs did well given the situation so that leaves the right side a little bit open to interpretation so uh, or Improvement, really. And I know Hughes has mentioned that he's t- looking at the waiver wire come the end of training camp so he can pick up some some gems that way, kind of like they did with Pitlick. But would they, do you think they'd be better served to sign someone like P.K. Subin as a free agent on a cheap deal? Or are they better off to just completely stay away from him? I don't, I don't think it's about Subban at all. I think it's mainly just like the Habs have no cap space right now. They have $200,000 in cap space uh, and uh, they have we'll play for that to sign. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like the Habs are going to have to trade someone like Mike Hoffman or UL Armia or any, anyone. Right. Like, like if, if you, like, if for instance, you can get like an obscene amount of value for a guy like, like Josh Anderson and free up, five and a half million dollars I I say you do it um, because 
Anderson is an extremely valued piece in this league. If you can get like an unprotected 2023 first from like a borderline contender, plus like a B prospect or something like, like, yeah, pull that trigger because on top of getting like a potentially high draft pick, um, you're freeing up the cast base you need to get Kirby doc. And it also then allows you to get future assets at the deadline, for instance, or, or right away for taking on a bad contract from someone else. Right. So that would be my outlook at this point, but in terms of the, the defensive core, um, I would honestly just keep it as is, um, like how, how I build the defensive core as, as it currently exists, it would be a Matheson and uh, David Savard first pairing, uh, then a second pairing of uh, Jordan Harris on the left and Joel Edmondson on the right, because Edmondson can play on the right side. Uh, and then on the bottom pairing, Caden uh, Gooley and Chris Weidman, and then put Justin Barron in the AHL, which I think uh, he could really use for another season. And then you have an AHL defensive core that's made up of a couple veteran guys like uh, Corey Schooneman, or who could also be the, the seventh guy in Montreal. Uh, but you, you'd have, uh, I mean, they got Otto Leskinen back. Uh, they signed Madison Bowie. But um, far more interestingly, uh, you would have Justin Barron, Matthias Norlander, and Gianni Fairbrother on top of Arbor Jacki. And that could be a really fun defensive core to watch in Laval. Uh, but yeah, I, I personally just keep the defensive core as is, unless you can get like a really valuable piece on the waiver wire or find a way to, to acquire something valuable because I kind of want those open two slots, uh, for young defensemen right now. Cause like you, you have Matheson, Edmondson and Savard locked in and then Chris Weidman just got a two-year deal. So I feel like, like Weidman kind of has a, a loose um like hold on that like number six spot on the right side um and at least two spots open for young guys and you have jack guy um uh, baron harris and Gooley fighting for those two spots like i i don't see the need to to get another piece at this point because again the habs aren't going to contend i don't really see the point in having to force in an extra de- like right shot defenseman in there according no, to uh, steve uh, Steo well, said this hold on yeah According to Steve Steos at the draft, who I was staying in the hotel with, uh, he thinks Jack Guy is making the NHL. I could see it. Um, Arbor Jack Guy is a very fun player. Uh, and if he can fix one thing, I, I think he could even become like a number four guy. Uh, it's his discipline. Like, it's like. I've wa- I watched a lot of Jack Eye this year because I, 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 I'm studying it in Ottawa and I went to like basically every 67s game and the Hamilton Bulldogs were in town a lot. Uh, so after he got traded there, I watched a lot of him and I'm pretty sure he spent half the time of those games in the penalty box. And it was usually for like really undisciplined and avoidable plays. Like, like yes, those things instilled, instilled fear in his opponents, uh, but it also left his team on the penalty kill all game long. Uh, and but when, when he's on the ice, he he, he was he, like surprisingly amazing. Like I was not expecting too much of him, uh, but he he was like he's a great skater, uh, great puck protection ability. He's a great shutdown defenseman who uses his physicality very effectively. Uh, he named Ben Sherratt as like one of his like 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 uh, guys that he likes to model his game after. But I think. Uh, if, if if he really hits, he's going to be a far more effective player than Ben Chirot. He's a lot calmer on the puck. Uh, his offensive skill is really underrated. 
Uh, I, I, I saw him do an end-to-end rush featuring some high-level deception, uh, and he almost scored off of it. It was like it was, it was genuinely impressive, and uh, I, I like him a lot. I, I think if he's your number six guy this year, that's a ton of fun. Uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it'd be a great third pairing for the NHL at this point, but it would be a very fun one with him and like Chris Weidman. So I, I could see that, honestly. And then if you just give like Justin Barron and Caden Gooley time in the AHL, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very okay with that. Now with, with Jack Eye, when uh, he, he's a late bloomer, but I think what caused that to happen was that he, he was just playing physical. You know, he was kind of methodical with his play. And then you see it from one season to the next. He learned how he, he started to play mean. And once he started playing mean and not just physical, like actually play with hatred in his heart, uh, <laughs> he really stepped his game up. And he, I, I know he gets a lot of uh, penalties in the OHL, but there, a lot of those penalties, when you move into the pro ranks, don't get called as often. So I don't think he's going to hurt the team as much as he did with Hamilton. But you're right. He does have to work on his discipline without losing that, that hatred. Stales oh, was he, saying, he, he, his, "Oh, sorry, Sebastian. go ahead, go ahead." Stales was saying that he thinks his biggest issue will be the speed of the NHL because uh, he uses big size in the OHL to to have people bounce off him and stuff like that. Uh, but I asked him about his discipline, and Stales said he thinks they'll have that under control by the time he gets to the pro level. Uh, it's something they were working on all year. I agree with you, Sebastian. It didn't look like it, but. Uh, uh, they they believe the Hamilton Bulldogs believe it's going to be his uh, keeping up with the speed of the NHL is what his issue probably would be when he gets to the NHL, which is the the, the issue for like ninety percent of defensemen when yeah, they make it to the exactly. NHL, right? Like yeah. it's 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 a it's such a big jump, and it's also why like like yeah, he looked great in the OHL, but we've not apart from that one training camp last season, which was a great training camp, um, we've not seen him against pro competition, right? So. I think that there's a good chance that there's a bit of a reality check this year and he starts as like a second pairing AHL guy or even third pairing AHL guy. But like you have so much time with these players. There's like, we're such a rebuilding team. You don't need to rush any of these guys to the NHL. Just, just see how they perform in training camp. Then if they make it out of training camp, see how they fare in the NHL and just play it by ear. Right. And in the middle of the season, you can always send a guy like Baron down and then, bring Gooley up or bring Jack guy up right like I think that there's going to be a lot of like back and forth between Laval and Montreal in terms of the the defensive core uh with the young guys because uh the Habs have that option and they're going to want to see all these guys in the NHL like like you're gonna like I'd be very surprised if if like guys like Norlander and uh Jack guy and uh obviously like like uh like Gooley and and Baron uh, I'd be very shocked if, if if any of them don't don't play a single NHL game. I think the Habs are going to want to see how all of them fare at the NHL level uh, at some point, uh, and that will, will require a lot of back and forth in terms of sending guys down and then bringing them up. Uh, but yeah, I, I think th- my guess this season is that is that it's like Harris and Gooley that are the mainstays in terms of the young defensemen in Montreal. Why yeah, not Baron? Why, with... why do you? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Why not Baron? Why do you think Baron's coming? Because I thought Baron was the one furthest ahead than say Harris and Green. 
Yeah, so so Justin Barron, um, like the the way I see it is that Barron has a, has a higher ceiling than Jordan Harris, but Harris is a far more refined player um, and pro ready player. So I think Justin Barron would like maybe not necessarily like require, but it would do him a lot of good to just play a full year in the AHL to just just give him the reins on a first pairing in the AHL and just tell him you're the offensive guy in this pairing, like go, go like, like skate, do your thing, carry the puck, play offensively and just learn those offensive habits at the pro level. Uh, whereas a guy like Jordan Harris, he's, he's not going to be an offensive defenseman in the NHL. I, I, I think he's going to top out as like a number four transition guy who is very effectively defensively uh, in the mold of a Brett Kulak um, with maybe a little bit more offensive up, upside than Kulak had. Um, and I, I think you, you can very comfortably play him on a, a third pairing already in the NHL. Uh, he, he's already older than Baron. He's more experienced. And I, ju- I just think that his overall habits in the game are just the further ahead. Uh, whereas Caden Gooley, um, I mean, look, Gooley was also the same draft year as Justin Baron. So even though Baron has a bit more pro experience, they're the same draft year. And uh, Caden, again, we have seen Caden go against professional competition. So there is always a bit, like a few question marks there, but uh, he, he is a great prospect. Um, and, and I think that he's, he's going to be just fine in the NHL. He dominated the WHL this season. Uh, he really added an offensive aspect to his game. Uh, with the puck, he used to like, like genuinely panic when he got the puck in transition. And he's really worked that out of his game. And he's far more effective now as a puck carrier, uh, which is great because his skating ability is one of his biggest strengths. And when you have a defenseman that skates that well, you want him to be a puck mover and to be, to be a puck carrier. And he's really added that to his game. But it's, it's his defensive ability. Like he, I, like I'm, I'm very confident even that if you play him on a third pairing this season, He's going to put up very good defensive results in terms of analytics, uh, and because he he protects the slot extremely well, he's one of the best transition defensemen of any NHL prospect at this point. Uh, nothing gets past him, uh, and he he plays with he, he plays with like the same violence of like an Arbor Jack guy. He, he doesn't get the same publicity because the WHL doesn't usually get the same publicity as the OHL, and he's not as as like heavy as Jack guy is and doesn't get the penalty minutes, but he, he has like a real mean streak. And uh, yeah, I, I think both he and Harris are just more refined and reliable NHL players at this point than Justin Barron. But I, I wouldn't be mad if, if Barron plays this season in the, in the NHL. I just think that a full year in Laval would help his development quite a bit. Well, and now kind of sticking within the OHL, which is your wheelhouse with Dauber, there was a player that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and that's Owen Beck. Now, Owen's been compared style-wise to uh, Shane Wright. Some people even call him the mm-hmm. poor man Shane Wright. Now, you've gotten to see him play quite a bit in the OHL. Uh, I see him as a very good two-way center who gives you a little bit of offense, and I would project him as a third-line center when he finally makes it. What did you see when you were watching him? I, I, I think like he's he's as shoo-in of a th- third line center as you're going to get in like the 30s of the draft. Um, 
I also think that there is second line upside there. Uh, he, Owen Beck is extremely intelligent. Uh, defensively, he like like his defensive abilities are already far better than Shane Wright's. Like I, I always thought that Shane Wright's defensive game was was a bit overhyped. Um, I thought I thought he was good defensively, but not like amazing. Whereas I think Owen Beck is already amazing defensively. I think you're, I think Owen Beck is going to be a type of like Philip Deneau type of player if he really hits, um, where he he's like <clears throat> like the prototypical like facilitator. Uh, he just he makes the lives of his teammates so much easier in transition. He's constantly going to make himself open as a passing outlet if his teammate get, gets pressured. Uh, he is one of the fastest players in the Habs system. He's a great skater. Um, he uh, he's elite in faith in faceoffs. Like he was the OHL's best faceoff man this season, I believe. Uh, and uh, offensively, like like he's he's, he's not going to he lacks the dynamism uh, that would make a player like a, a top ten pick. He's he's not going to dangle through uh, four defense like like four players to to get to the net, but. His shot's a real weapon, and he didn't really get to use it too much this season. Like he only scored like twenty something goals. Uh, but it's a very like mechanically sound shot that he gets open and uses very very well. Again, he's just very intelligent. He's constantly observing the ice, and uh, he he gets open. Uh, so I, I think in terms of like high end, like his the upper end of his upside. Uh, for me, is a Philip Deneau type of player who is faster uh, and instead and swaps out a little bit of the playmaking for goal scoring. So also like like hovering around fifty points, but maybe twenty five goals, twenty five assists, and putting up great defensive results. And if you get that at thirty three, uh, you're you're laughing. Um, and on the lower end, I think he's a passable three C. Like I, I think his 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 floor is extremely high. Um, I think he's a shoe in NHL guy um, within the next two, three years. Um, so I, I love that pick for Montreal. Uh, the guy I would have picked was Jagger Furcus, who I loved even more. But when the Habs said Owen Beck, I was, I was very, very happy because he's, he's an excellent prospect. Well, I, right, I'm gonna switch. I know that Jagger oh. would, uh, would probably be a little bit slow getting to the table that next day. Uh, he, was, he, he was enjoying his night the night before. Oh, I believe like like he looks like a man that enjoys every single night. Like he <laughs> he has fun in life. I mean, yeah, he got in after a, I did. Oh my god! A few Good for him. Enjoy their Good night. for Jagger. Sab Law wow. was enjoying his night. Uh, who else was uh, the, the Sam guy from Chicago? They're uh, uh, Renzel. Their third... yeah. yeah, yeah. He was Sam enjoying Renzel? his night. No, uh, the third. Their third. Was it their third round pick playing or their second round pick? It was their second, third uh, round Chicago. pick. He plays out of Moncton. Yeah. No, well, he was playing in Ramuski. Uh, oh, yeah. Sam, right. uh, he's from Moncton. Know. We were drunk. Oh. I forget his last name. We were drunk. Yeah. I forget his last name. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, actually, talking about the queue, and I'm only bringing this guy up because we've covered two guys that I wrote about in my last article that could be steals of the draft. Uh, Owen Beck and, uh, of course, Luke uh Hudson there. Uh, what do you think of, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it because it's French, uh, uh, Tournier? Uh, uh, Tourigny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Miguel yeah. Tourigny. Um, yeah. yeah. So he, he, he's a guy that should have been drafted two years ago. He should have been drafted last year and he deserved to get drafted this year. 
um, he he's a long shot to make the NHL. Like 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 there, there there's no denying that. Like he like eighty percent chance he's he's not gonna ever touch the NHL. But he he is just he's such a talented offensive defenseman. Like his defensive game needs a lot of work, but he's a tremendous skater. Has a very very good shot and is a high end playmaker. Um, and what he what he does better than any other QMJHL defenseman is that he uses his skating ability to like attack the slot as a forward would attack the slot. He he plays like a forward at times, and it's very impressive and fun to watch. Uh, which he really gets away with in the Q because the Q is well the Q. Uh, but I I really like like the pick because like, like more more than anything, I'm I'm just happy that he got drafted uh, at all, let alone by the Habs. Because he he really deserved it. I mean, he he scored what like thirty eight goals this season, if I'm not mistaken, as a defenseman. Yeah. Or, or, or was it yeah. twenty nine? Anyway, it was it was an absurd amount of goals for a defenseman. Um, and it was like eighty points total. Had, yeah. yeah, like like, like he, he he's he's like he's a goal scorer as a defenseman, and it's it's really fun to see. So I I like that pick. It's a log shot. Um, but in the seventh round, like like I, he wasn't the guy like. like Something that, that that I do for every draft is uh, like before the Habs pick, I write down who I would have picked instead of them. So like this year, I ended up with uh, Shane Wright, Brad Lambert, Jagger Furcus, Lane Hudson, who I picked at sixty-two when the Habs picked him, and I was very happy. Uh, and then a couple other guys uh, to to fill out the list. Uh, I didn't pick Tulini uh, in the seventh round, but I it like it's so tight at that point, and and I I, I really did like that pick because. Um, everyone in the seventh round is going to be a long shot, and uh, Tourigny is one of the most fun long shots that that you could have proposed at that point. So I really like like that pick. I'll say my list was accurate then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty much everything we we had, except for one thing. Like we're going to step away from the Canadians and reality for a little bit, and talk about this Pierre Lutzbois garbage okay fun yeah let's have a little fun with it i i'm kind of with treg on this i don't believe that the canadians are going to make a deal just to make a deal i mean the pressure's on winnipeg so why not wait two years true i i i think that like the the best argument that like to make about like the habs are good like like for like like supporting the chances of the habs trading for him this offseason is that like Winnipeg can really only trade him to Montreal. Like they don't have any other like genuine trading options because everyone else that's going to be trading for him is going to be trading for one or maybe two years of Dubois. The Habs will be trading for eight, 10 years of Dubois. So naturally they're going to be willing to pay more. And yeah, it's a really fun hypothetical to, to me because if you have a center core of Nick Suzuki, Pierre Lutzubois, and Kirby Doc, you're you're set down the middle. Like like that is that is an excellent center core, uh, and I'd be very curious what the package would look like that's going the other way. Like I think it would have to include Josh Anderson and maybe Dvorak, but apart from that, I have no idea. Well, see, that's my question. Uh, it's not so much do the Canadians want to, well, we all know Dubois is going to make him make his way to Montreal somehow, somewhere in the next two, three years. Uh, 
Yeah. But what, as of right now, what does Montreal give up for? Josh Anderson has to be in the deal because he's the biggest asset yeah. they have to trade back. You don't need Dvorak anymore if you have Dubois. So, okay, here's your center, right? And how high does Winnipeg value Dvorak? And then there got to be some type of third piece going the other way. There has to be. Like, yeah. So, uh, a, a high draft pick or, or a prospect or something. So, I, I made a Twitter poll like, a week and a half ago just just like like for shits and giggles because i was curious and the results were like absolutely amazing uh the proposed trade was um pierre Le Dubois for uh um anderson dvorak and riley kidney uh for the record i'm not very high on riley kidney or on josh anderson which is why i proposed that trade because i like it from the house perspective um and the results were like like up until like the like like 16 hours into the poll, it was, I'm pretty sure I had like at that point 250 votes and it was like an even split. It was like 36% say have say no, 36% say Winnipeg say no, and then the remaining percent say uh, it's a fair trade. Like, like in terms of voting, it was like dead even. And I found that very funny because usually like I've, I've never seen a trade proposal on Twitter with the poll be anywhere close to fair uh and that was a, a bit of a fun result there and i feel like it makes sense as a trade for both sides um in terms of salary going both ways in terms of assets going both ways like i mean riley kidney is a very respected prospect in the nhl whenever i see articles from like the athletic about like the habs future it was always like oh yeah like riley kidney is a, a future three third line center if you're talking to like a random league executive uh, so he's clearly valued in the NHL and you add in Anderson, who's highly valued and Dvorak, who just got a first and a second round pick a year ago. I feel like that's a pretty decent offer f- for a guy that's holding out on his contract. The, the rumor is that Winnipeg wants one of the untouchables, Suzuki, Caulfield. Which Greece, is never going to happen. Which is no, absurd. But that, like it, it, and the, and the issue you have is you have two GMs who stick to their guns. <laughs> you know, you have Shevel Day, Shevel Day off who doesn't really, he's like, nope, this is what I want. I'm not moving until I get it. And you have you saying, well, this is what I want. And I'm not moving until I get it. So it's kind of like the old West stalemate type thing. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation. <laughs> yeah. But like the Habs have the advantage in that stalemate because oh, the Habs have exactly. zero pressure to make a move, right? Whereas yeah, Winnipeg does. Yeah, exactly. Like he wants to go to Montreal. Montreal's like, all right, this is what we're going to give for him. Take it or leave it. And Winnipeg's like, nope. But like you say, where else are they going to go with him? Because no team's going to trade for, no team's going to trade for an RFA and only sign him for a bridge contract for two years, knowing they're going to lose him. Um, yeah, like, unless... I mean, like team, teams could could offer for him, but like it's not, it's not going to come close to the offer that Montreal's yeah. going to give because like Montreal has far more reason to give a bigger offer. Yeah. So uh, unless he's going to a like a cup contender that needs that extra center to get over the edge i don't see it happening i agree i I think it's going to happen in free agency yep well the i mean the canadians are still rebuilding and there's no point in adding a player like him unless they get him for the price that they 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 absolutely want exactly like the haves are completely in the driver's seat in this in, in these negotiations it's like like they have zero reason to overpay for for Zubois. They're only going to trade for him if they think they're getting an absolute steal of a deal. Now, yeah, exactly. Habs Twitter 
also says if you trade Drew in Byron and Edmondson. Oh God. So. Yeah, yeah. All, all, all the players that I don't want. Yeah. Oh, Ryder exactly, Halak exactly. in a second. The, the, the OG trade. Yeah. Yeah. Ryder Halak in a second would get you prime Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Exactly. Our players, our players are garbage. Let's trade them all for Sidney Crosby. Yeah, it's like it, 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 it's all like EA Sports be a GM at that point. It's like, well, they all increase the trade bar, right? So they like they have to take it. I actually, I really like your trade scenario there with Kid. I think that's a perfect trade. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm big on Anderson. I like Anderson. I like his power forward. Yeah. But if, if you got a guy like Kirby Doc and Slavoski coming in, do you really need Anderson anymore? No, you don't. Exactly. So, but, but like, like, like drafting Slavkovsky has made Anderson expendable. So, yeah. I think I mentioned that on a, I think I mentioned that on a past show, Blake. You, you have, but I'm very high on Kidney. I think this kid's going to be very good. Uh, he's you know one of my personal favorites. He's very skilled. Justin Barron. He, he like kidney's very very skilled. Um, every time I watch him, it, like my brain just like it just like like blaring red flags because uh, the one thing kidney doesn't do is attack the middle. Like he 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 he's a pure perimeter playmaker and he's a very good perimeter play, playmaker, but he has just not shown any flashes of attacking the slot with any type of consistency and at least for me especially for QMJHL guys uh that is like the hallmark of their games that makes them like really questionable for pro- projection it's the exact same reason that i was relatively low on jordan dumais uh like i had him i believe at like around 62 but with his production he should have been in the first round uh but because he's such a perimeter playmaker and like i personally don't care too much about like size like i I put Lane, Lane Hudson was number 11 on my board and Jagger Fergus was at 13. Like, I, I obviously don't care too much about size, uh, but it's, it's about like, if you all, if you are smaller, you have to at least show projectable elements to your game of attacking the center, because if you're physically forced to the outside and you're afraid to attack the middle, you're never going to become an effective NHL player. And with Raleigh Kidney, it's just, I have too many concerns with him um and and like which is why for me i i don't see him as like a high-end Habs prospect despite the skill level like he's a great playmaker has real great skill but i really think that that one aspect is going to keep him from having any impact in the nhl unless like there's a real overhaul in his game well i know this uh, the coaches he works with in the summer are working very hard on that Oh, for sure, right? Like, like, like all, all these players that are undersized and that aren't attacking. No, I know because like, I'm one of them. Like the, the, the development teams always focus on it because everyone knows yeah. how important it is. But some some guys learn and some guys just can't adapt to that, right? And I've just seen way too many QMJHL like like highly skilled forwards that just can't crack it, even in like the AHL because of that, uh, or like like guys like like Chaloudon, right? Like. AHL like like phenom uh and even in the AHL he's amazing because he has an extra little moment of time uh where he can find a gap in in the in the slot where he he he's able to go in uh but in the AHL he just never got those openings and because he can't he didn't have the like the the dynamism uh or or like the hockey IQ to like create his own space um 
yeah, I, I just have a lot of concerns with Kidney, which is why I'll also include him in this trade proposal. Like, again, with prospect, he'd be worth it for, like for Dubois. Yeah, exactly. And with, with, with prospects, it's all about probability, right? Like, like, like beyond like the top 10 players, there's never like a guarantee, right? Or even, even inside the top 10, there's not never a guarantee with what you're getting. It's all about, can we develop him into what we think he can become? And like a guy like, like Riley Kidney for me just has more red flags than other Habs prospects that I'm higher on, but there's still a good chance that Kidney will surpass them if he gets proper development, right? And in the end, if there's like a, a PLD trade, the Habs are going to have to throw in a B prospect. And Riley Kidney is, for me, the perfect fit for that because I think he's very highly valued in the NHL and he's a guy that I'm personally a bit lower on. So it's selling high. Well, even if you you think you can get him to his full potential, when you have a team yeah. like the Canadians that have, uh, what, about 55 different prospects, uh, 15 exactly. of them are centers, he is one of those exactly. pieces that if they're interested, throw it in. Yeah, yeah. And like, especially like, like having acquired, like, like drafted a guy like, like Owen Beck just now and uh, I mean, trade for Kirby Doc, right? Like, in the end, there's there like there's so many assets here that like you may as well use some of them to acquire a sure thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, PLDs is uh, guaranteed. That's that's a guy who can be a one A one B center. So it's worth it's worth a cost. It's worth the effort. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so that's pretty much it for everything we were gonna pick your brain on. I know the time zone in Austria is a further ahead than here in Nova Scotia. So it's fairly late there. Yeah. Yeah. A little five, uh, six, seven <laughs> hours. Yeah. So it's fairly six, late there. Uh, it's, it's, it's five hours from Halifax. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not too bad, but it's, it's, it's a bit later. It's dark outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just want to uh, thank you for coming on and could you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very glad that the internet like held up the entire time because it was awful yeah. before we started recording. But as soon as we pressed record, it's gone very smoothly, at least on my end. Not sure how, how it's been on your end, but uh, it's all felt very smooth here. And uh, yeah, so you, you can find me on like, just follow me on Twitter uh, at, at high underscore Sebastian. Uh, everything I do is also posted there. Um, all my, my, my links are there as well. So I have a Substack. Uh, where I've posted a couple things, including my my draft rankings for like this past draft, uh, which included a an article on my top 100, which I think had around 23,000 words. So if you have a free like six, seven hours to spend, <laughs> feel free to read that. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beast of a piece. Um, and beyond that, I'm, I'm the host of a podcast with some buddies, uh, which is called Puck and Roll. Uh, which you can find on every uh, streaming platform. Uh, and at Dauber Prospects, uh, I, I am the OHL scout uh, for the, the Dauber Prospects uh, draft scouting team. And I'm also the person that handles the, the Montreal Canadiens uh, web page on Dauber Prospects. So the page with all like the, the, the Habs player ratings and stuff and like uh, the scouting reports on them. That's all me. Uh, and I also write one article a month for Dauber on the WHL, where I have a ton of creative freedom and can write about literally whatever. So expect about 
uh, 10 articles on Connor Bedard in the next year. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's about it for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, so just follow me on Twitter. And from there, you can find everything else I do. Well, it sounds like you're busy and we appreciate all yeah. the, uh, the content <laughs> that you create for us, um, it, it, especially with the Twitter. I mean, I, I'm just recently finding you here and I find that your breakdowns of the, the Instat videos were, were just phenomenal. So uh, that, that really piqued I'm, I'm my interest. Gl- so I'm very glad that it's a format that people were, were taken to do because uh, I was considering like just writing it into an article and like for context, the last Substack article I wrote was just like a breakdown of like the drafts, winners and losers. That got a total of 50 clicks, despite me also sharing it on Twitter. And then each of these threads where I just post the video and analyze, which is exactly what I would do in an article, and uh, just the amount of engagement it, it has driven has been incredible. Uh, because of those two threads, I have gained just about 500 followers in, in w- one week, uh, which is kind of mind blowing. Uh, so uh, I get the message loud and clear. I'm going to keep doing those because, uh, yeah, the <laughs> I've gotten the message. Yeah, Twitter followers. is pretty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Habs Twitter is pretty desperate for some positive news. So it, it, it definitely brought that. Yeah. And it's also like a format that I haven't seen anyone else do of like video analysis, like in the form of a Twitter thread and uh, clearly people are enjoying it. So I'm going to, the next one I'll be doing is on uh, Slavkovsky. So you can expect that in the next two days or so. Excellent. Please be positive. So again, yeah. <laughs> it will be, it will be. <laughs> I know Grant McKegg would attack you otherwise. Yeah. Oh, oh I know yeah. for a fact yeah, I'm I texting mean... him right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we, I really appreciate you taking some time out, especially from your, your vacation to talk to us and tell our listeners everything that you've covered here. Um, and for our listeners, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for checking in. And if you like content like this, Keep sending us those emails. Keep making suggestions. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do 
did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.